to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, Mr. Tommy White. Ricky Hyatt. Sit down and have a little bit of banter. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of Football Bloody Hell. Yes, and of course, that voice you can hear in the background is, as always, Mr. Adrian Hopper. How you doing, AD? I'm fine. And for those people who don't know, the reason we call this show Football bloody hell, was because a certain Alec Ferguson quoted it after beating Barcelona to win the treble. So that is the reason for it. Carry on. Not the game Not the game against Bayern Munich, though. Or he, no, it was in Barcelona, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. <laughs> it's unlike, it's unlike uh, a podcast on Three Valleys Radio to be titled after a reference from Manchester United, but we'll we'll come on to that because next yeah. in line is Ricky Hyatt. How you doing, Rick? I'm all, I'm all right, mate. Uh, uh, yeah, I just trying to remember that game against Barcelona in '99. <laughs> Tommy White's arrived. Well, you did play them in '99, did you not? Was that on the way to the final? That was on the was way. It yeah. Three three all. Yeah. 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 yeah it was on the way. So. Thought I'd try and pull that back with a with a stat just to uh, keep everything Don't on help. course. Don't help him. <laughs> Steve Rutter's here. How you doing, Steve? I'm I'm good, thanks. I, I was just thinking it's a, unusual for Three Valleys Radio to be factually incorrect, isn't it, on anything? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Give, given the research department we've got at our disposal, <laughs> it's the biggest and the best, isn't it, Steve? <laughs> best yes, that money can buy. Welcome to the asylum, you yeah, could you. say. Um, and I believe that might possibly be Tommy White that's joined us. However, it does seem that he's still connecting. So, Tommy, can you hear me? No. <laughs> no, no, he can't. He is here, though, I think. So we'll hopefully be able to bring him in yeah. shortly. There he is. But, I can oh, see here him. he is. Can you hear us, Tommy? No. No, I'm going to keep going because the longer longer I wait for him to connect to the audio, yeah. he probably I can see his I can see his drinks collection. He's moving yeah. his camera up and down. Yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there somewhere. But um, before I bring him in, then a uh, little bit of Yeovil chat, then because the first game has finally got underway. Oh, before that, Tommy, Tommy can hear me. How you doing, Tom? Sorry, yeah, I'm in now. Sorry, it took a little while to kick in. Carry on. That's all right. No worries. I'm sure it will make a really good point point in the podcast right at the start. <laughs> evening, Tommy. <laughs> evening, evening. How you doing, Tommy? You okay? Yeah, all good, mate. Yeah, just got home, so I've got you on the phone instead of the laptop, because it took me a while to set it up. Right. See, that's efficiency, isn't it? You need to be on the pod for six o'clock, straight out of work, straight on the phone. You can tell that, that A.D. Hopper's been after you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Town, then, boys. They got off their pre-season with a 4-0 win at Buckland Athletic. Um, 
good to see goals from Stevens, Hyde, Newball and Matty Worthington, I believe, in the 4-0 win. Um, it's unusual that Yeovil are in a position where they can actually field two completely different starting 11s um, for a friendly. Um, Steve, I'll start with you. Always good to, to kick off pre-season with a win. And like I just touched on the fact that Cooper's been able to dive into um, two starting 11s. It's a good chance for him, for everybody to get some minutes on board. Yeah, very much so. Um, and a big change from most seasons when you're shopping around looking for players. You know, and I think we said before, haven't we, he's managed to keep a nucleus of players together and he's added to it very quickly. Um, and as a manager, that's a great place to be because... You know, your early pre-season friendlies are really just to give people a bit of leg time. He's not going to learn too much about their capabilities playing against Buckland with all due respect. But it does mean that he gets a core of people and he gets to work with them on a regular basis. So I think he'll be he'll be delighted with the way they've started. Rick, I'll come to you because Steve makes the right point. that Obviously, you know, it's a friendly, they're playing Buckland Athletic. But just from a Yeovil Town supporter perspective, they haven't seen Yeovil Town score four goals against anybody yeah. for quite some time. So... From that point of view, there's there's no surprise that there's a, a huge positivity even following that result. That's the amount of goals we scored in the last two months of the season, wasn't it, last year? So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And to see all three strikers getting goals as well, and they, as Steve said, they get minutes together on the pitch. That's all positive. You couldn't have asked for a, a better pre-season game, really. Certainly to yeah. kick them all off anyway. So, uh, yeah, it all looks good, mate. All looks good. As does the new kit. Oh yeah, well, we'll just quickly touch on the, the the kit. Then, are you are you happy with how uh, the, how the new strip is looking ahead of the new season? Yeah, I like it. I think it's I think I think I think it's very smart, as my mum would say. What do you think, Aid? Do you like it? Yeah, I do. I do. I think it looks very uh, very upmarket, to be honest. Um, I think it's good. Uh, I think it's interesting too that uh, I think we came out of the, the game without any injuries because. Uh, I don't want to drop names, but I was talking to a certain Gary Johnson this afternoon and he said to me, uh, uh, what, what friendlies have you got lined up there? And so I reeled off the list and he said, cool, he said, you only have about three players fit by the end of the end of the pre-season, <laughs> which I thought was rather amusing. <laughs> Would you have gone on with that, Tom? Pre-season games, there's a few cloggers about. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, especially the, the lower the spectrum you go down, possibly the less fitter they'll be which can obviously then relate um, to a few more injuries, um, not, not necessarily on purpose. I'm not saying that um, players further down the spectrum look out to hurt people, but, you know, a bit slower, not quite so fit. Um, a few accidents are, are obviously probably going to be more apparent than the higher up you go. Interesting point. Tommy, just um, sticking with the result, like I was saying to um, to Rick, that, I appreciate that probably the results don't really mean too much. I guess they don't because it's all about the run out and things like that. But like I've just touched on there, the fact that Yeovil haven't really had anything to to shout about, really, particularly scoring three or more goals, it just feels good for everyone involved, players and um, all the fans. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, I know it's, you know, like we've just touched on there, like, you know, um, it's, it's, it's still a competitive game. Um you know, and obviously by the sounds of things, it was probably pretty comfortable and getting four goals, you know, it does breed confidence without a shadow of doubt. And I know we can say about results, but I mean, just a bit closer to where I am at the minute, for argument's sake, Bristol Rovers beat Melksham 9-0 the other night and then Forest Green went and drew with them 
one all, didn't they? So I mean, you know, there's, you know, let's, let's not take it for granted. You still got to go, and, you know, clean sheet, four goals. So you know, it's it's it's, it's still a confidence builder without a shadow of a doubt. How do you see it, Steve, from a managerial perspective? Because it's all about that you hear it's all about the minutes and obviously trying to get a good competitive edge out of the players. But then I guess sometimes the result kind of goes hand in hand with the performance. Yeah, I mean, at this stage of the season, it is purely and simply about getting some time in their legs. You know, because I watched, for example, I watched Buckland last year get beat 4-0 at street. So, you know, keep it in balance in terms of it's great to win 4-0. Oh, you yeah, re- should have had eight then. Well, yeah, but, but, but what I'm saying is he'll be delighted to have won 4-0. He'll be delighted to have got everybody 45 minutes of game time. Had they have lost, he'd have probably been pig sick because Yeovil, with the squad they've got, should beat Buckland comfortably, you know. So he, he would be very disappointed with, if they got beat, it'd have been about attitude more than anything. So, but I think at this moment in time, you know, they'll just, they just want time in their legs. He wants to get a feel for the players. He wants to get some players playing together to see if they can start to build partnerships and combinations um, it's great to win, and if you're going to play, you know, win builds confidence and it gets you a bit of momentum. Um, but every manager will tell you really that if you had a choice between losing all your pre-season friendlies and then winning your first league game, mm. you would take that every season over winning all your pre-season games and losing the kickoff when the league starts. So I think it's job done. Great result. People shared the goals around. Chance to see the players and get them on the pitch. Just on the flip side to that. Um... AD, with your experience of being involved with Yeovil Town for as for as long as you've had, have you ever been in a situation where you've been around the the players in the dressing room when a pre-season fixture hasn't gone the way that the manager wanted? Has that ever occurred at all? <laughs> yeah, it did well actually. Um, it was when we were in Latvia. I don't know whether Tom, he might remember it. We played uh, first of all. We played Skontoriga. And I can't remember what the score was on that one, but anyway. well played, AD. Well yeah, played, yeah, yeah. Well, beautifully. Half, half of the course. But hang on, just wait, wait, wait. Um, and then we, we we ended. I think it was the third game of the uh, of the uh, tour. And for memory serves me, I think we lost three nil or three one, perhaps. And uh, we were walking towards the dressing room at the end, and uh, I was just sort of hovering because it's not really the done thing for the press officer to go into the dressing room very often. And Gary looked at me, he said, well, are you coming in or what then? So I sort of so yes, all right, I'll come in then. So I went in and sort of hid in the corner and uh, he went absolutely, you know, absolutely ballistic because they'd lost. And uh, were you there then, Tom? Can you remember it? Yeah, yeah, basically. I remember the first game, we were 2-0 we were up. I think we played like a strong, well, I say strong, they were both strong, but like a starting 11 in the, the first half against Scott and we were 2-0 up. Um and then, like, I'll be honest, we were watching the second half thinking, wow, uh, weren't expecting that. Obviously, bearing in mind, they were all pretty much internationals and we were, you know, our first game of, of that new season or preseason, I should say. And, yeah, we were 2-0 up. And I was absolutely overjoyed. And then um, the lads who went on in the second half uh, managed to lose 2-0. So it ended up to all that game. Um, but the one I can remember, I remember Lindy, Lindy got slaughtered. Can you remember that? <laughs> We played um, Ventsballs. Was it Ventsballs? Uh, yeah, that was the Something second like one, wasn't it? It was a- 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 AF something Sconter rather than Sconter Riga. It was a different sort of play on words, if I can remember it. But um, yeah, 
But yeah, no, I remember because poor old Andy Lindegaard got slaughtered on that particular occasion and, and I stood there thinking, my God, I don't think I want to be a professional footballer if you're going to get that sort of abuse. But, um, yeah, part and parcel. But yeah, um, I, I'll be honest, no, I don't, I don't remember. I remember playing, uh, I, I think I hurt my knee over there, you know, and that's where it sort of stemmed from when I ended up sort of having to have an operation and, and, and jack it in. I think I tweaked it in I think maybe the second game or the third game and... Um, yeah, that sort of, I, I, I tried to carry on for a little bit. And then I think, barring it, first couple of games of the season, it, it totally went. Um, but yeah, um, I don't actually remember the the game or, or Gary's um, yelling match. But that doesn't mean to say we didn't have more than one. <laughs> yeah. Steve, from your coaching perspective, have you ever um, been in a situation where you've you've seen the team come off and you've thought, Wow, uh, that was actually a lot worse than I was hoping for, and it completely changes your perspective for the new season. Well, the, the difficulty is you, you can't get too carried away. Sometimes, you know, it's like end of season games when they're dead rubbers and you get beat four 0 by somebody. It's they're outliers, but I mean, I'm sure Tom's been in the same situation. I've been at clubs in pre-season where you you start your pre-season friendlies and you've actually got like nine or ten registered players plus loads of people coming in on trial and that. So you can't get too hung up about what are your early results because 99 clubs haven't got what will be their ultimately their squad available to them. Um, but there have been there have been games that you know where you turn up and you just don't perform in pre-season for whatever reason. Um, and I say the only thing I think as a coach that ever gets you is if there's a lack of application from the players. Because players can turn up and play badly, or like Tom will say, one of the, the lower level sides will raise their game because they're playing you and you're you know a league side whatever. But I think from a manager's point of view, it really does depend on what's your objective for that particular game. Is it to win the game and get you know your pattern of play established because you're three weeks in, four weeks into pre-season? Or is it just about getting players on the pitch and having a look at them? And that will really determine whether or not you you know you fly off the handle and have a go at them or not. But you know, I'm sure Gary's when he went you know in Latvia when he went, it's probably because he didn't think they'd applied themselves well enough, rather than the fact that they got beat by a side who, if on the night, were better than them. You know, he'd probably put his hands up and accept it. But I think if in any stage of the season, pre-season, end of season, whatever, if you think there's a lack of application, um, then that's really what gets you going. And I suppose if 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 it's the trialists that are at fault, you just don't invite them back. Well, basically, <laughs> I mean, when, when I, my first season at Panathinaikos, we went to Holland in exactly the situation I was talking about. Loads of lads out of contract. We took something like nine of the youth team with us, and we had you know we had games against. Um, I'm just trying to think. We we played a, a Cypriot side, we played a Polish side, and and we actually had a lad on trial, and we invited him back for all three games just to make up the numbers. You know, this is Panathinaikos for goodness' sake. It's a you know a big European club, but that was the state that we were at at the time, given the the circumstances we inherited. Um, he, he played in all three games and still never got offered a contract. Um, but we we need them to make up the numbers. With, so, with, the, with the player in question aware, it was a bit more of a token gesture, invitation. Um, or... Well, to be honest, it wasn't to start with. It was a genuine invitation to have a look at him. And after the first game, he sort of did okay. Then the second game, he sort of did okay. And by, by the th- you're thinking, well, you know, we've got to find better than this, to be honest. But we said, look, do you want to come back and play the third game? He said, yeah, it'll, you know, it'll get me in the shop window. So he came back and played, but. He came, he came as a centre forward, then then you slotted him into the right wing and give him even give him a go at right back. <laughs> yes, one of them. We realised he was, he was a rubbish centre forward. He was a rubbish midfield player. Yeah, stick him at the back somewhere. 
Um, but no, I say it really does depend on on what stage you're at in terms of the development of your squad and what your objectives are for that particular friendly. As I say, the Buckland game, they'll be happy. Everybody's got on the pitch. They've got some leg time. He's had a chance to have a look at the players. Tommy, that that team, it was FK Auda, A-U-D-A. I just looked yeah, at that. I wonder yeah. I don't remember them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Memorable, aren't they? <laughs> well, moving forward then, Yeovil's next game is at Wimborne on Tuesday. And um, just a usual reminder as well that here at Three Valleys, we are always looking for, for new people to come and join the team ahead of the new season. So if you do have an interest, particularly in um, football and particularly commentating and other areas, I'm sure um, AD will, will will bring to light that we'd love to hear from you at info at threevalleysradio.com, AD Hopper. That's the one, yeah. And uh, we've already had one uh, gentleman apply and uh, hopefully we get a few more. It's a good place to work, uh, work Rick Hyatt, correct? It has its moments. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's, it's a good. It's a good thing to get into if you're inter- interested in your football. It is a good way of having a look at it from a slightly different angle than just being a spectator all the time. You're you're that bit closer than you are just as a as a general spectator. So yeah, it's, it's a good crack. I'd recommend it. Before we move on to the other stories of the day, I just wanted to highlight that you might have seen last week that. Um, Edwin van der Sar found himself um, having to go to intensive care because of uh, they found a bleed on the brain. I believe that he's still in a stable condition, but it's still considered serious. Rick, I'll stick with you. Obviously, as an ex-Manchester United um, player, it's horrible news for everyone concerned. Really, oh yeah, it's the sort of thing you don't want to you don't want to hear anyone going through, let alone someone that's. Uh that you've cheered on for a bit, but thankfully it does seem to be stable. And the thing is that he's not that old, is he? And that's always the, always the concern. But um, fortunately, everything seems to be under control and, you know, fingers crossed that he gets through this okay. Yes. Hey, he is a Man United fan yourself. Oh, um, he's, he's up there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is very much so. And uh, not only that, I mean, he, uh, I'm sure United had perhaps designs on him coming in as a director of football or something. There was quite a lot of talk about it at one stage, but uh, he's sort of retired for the time being. I think he just wants a break, but it's it must have been kind of, uh, you know, uh, just add to his, his, his uh, doubts, I suppose, when, when he's got this condition now, which is, uh, you know, he obviously must have been aware of something was perhaps wrong. I don't know. But... Uh, just wish him all the best and hope that he gets a, a, a full recovery very quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Here, 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 here for sure. And um, it's been a mix. It's been a mixed weekend uh, for British sport, hasn't it? Because I think all the British uh, seeds have now been knocked out of Wimbledon. Uh, England have managed to pull it back um, in the Ashes, and the England under twenty ones have gone and won. The European competition and there's a new trophy uh, to be paraded for the England football team. Um, Tommy, I'll come to you because is there a more English way of winning it than a cool. free kick that's deflected off your own purse, <laughs> your own teammate that flies into the corner to win the game? <laughs> well, it's the absolute opposite in it of um, I can't remember which which year it was now, but the, the Paul Germany the 1990 maybe Paul Parker where it deflects off him. 
and goes in and, and we lose on penalties um, to Germany. And then obviously this way round, I mean, in in normal time, I'll be honest, I, I was watching it, but not necessarily, you know, giving it 100% attention. I looked and I, I didn't, I thought he dived. I thought there's no way that's a penalty. But yeah, having watched it back, he, he does catch him slightly late. Um, it's one of those that, you know, probably in the, in the 2000s and 1990s and certainly before, probably never gets given. Uh, but obviously with VAR, they went back and had a look. And, and a good double down. good double save at the end, as you uh, Yeah, saying. that's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what a way. I mean, the lads, he said, didn't he? He said he was going to save the penalty. So, um, James Trafford. So, yeah, fair play to him. I mean, you know, that's the stuff dreams are, are, are made of. And but at a young age as well, to pull off something like that. I mean, obviously Burnley are spending a few quid on him. Um, it'd be interesting to see how he steps up. Um, I don't know if he'll be first choice for them or not. Um, but yeah, didn't, it, didn't concede a goal either, which is impressive. No, crazy, yeah. I, I'll be, I was watching it all the way along, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, frightening to think they've gone. It's first person ever, isn't he, to uh, yeah. go all the way without letting a goal in. So, um, yeah, fair play to the whole defence. You know, it's, it's a unit. Obviously, he's performed exceptionally well. But, you know, the two centre-backs were decent. The full-backs done well. The midfielders, quite a lot of energy in the midfield. It's a good team. Very, very, very good team. Um, you know, they, they even mixed it up a bit. It wasn't like they played the same 11 players all the way through. You know, they, they, quite a lot of them got game time. Full backs, midfielders changed, you know, wingers changed. So, yeah, it was, it was it's an excellent performance. And, um, you know, it bodes well for the future, obviously. Yeah, Steve, Steve, I'll throw it to you. We've obviously been talking about it for a few weeks as we've been following them through the competition and, you know, where we think sort of the the youth categories rank at the moment. But getting that win, it's still it's still a feel-good thing for the country and the players. And like um, Tommy's just referenced there with the keeper, Trafford, who'd been playing all season at Bolton in League One. And now off the back of it, he's getting a money move to Burnley in the Premier League. Yeah, um, Man City are probably gutted that they agreed the fee before the tournament, to be honest, because he's probably got about three million quid. Um but no, listen, when you win at youth level, it, it does breed confidence in the system. And you've got to remember that Jude Bellingham is eligible to play for the team. Bukayo Saka is eligible to play for the team. Um, Rico Lewis at Man City, the fullback, is eligible to play for the team. So it's not like they've taken every player who's available. and t- They've taken a squad. They don't think those players need it, so they've left them out. And they've taken a squad that has gone through the entire tournament without considering the goal. Um and, and that's people forget that most sides who win tournaments, it's not that they score hatfuls, it's that they defend brilliantly and don't concede. Um, you know, I think it was a 60 40 possession for Spain, was it in the final? Um, 20 odd shots at goal, but you've got a kid who's not conceded in the whole tournament and a defense that's solid. Um, and they've, and they've deservedly won it, and you know, that's great for us. But the last time we did it was 84 and we didn't really build on it. So let's hope that these can, you know, we can build on it, and a lot of these now can progress through the senior side. Steve, well, how many point, do you it? reckon, percentage-wise, go on, uh, you know, right through the system to the full international team? As a well, rule? That was, I, yeah, I was, I was looking at that yesterday actually. For the last side that won it, it was like Mark Hately and Kevin Brock and people like that, and something like about sixty percent of them never got any senior England caps at all, and a few of them got England caps, and, and you know, a couple got. I think Stevie Hodge was one and Mark Haitley, they got about, you know, 23 each or something like that. But nobody went on to become like a superstar. I suppose Haitley had a good career in Europe, didn't he, with with Monaco and and Milan. Um, But not many of them became really established senior internationals. So you just hope that some of these now 
they're already playing first team football, so they've got real pedigree. You just hope that they can kick on and, and get to the next level. Well, I just wanted to touch on that fact that um, you're saying about it sort of um, going through all the. Hopefully, it has a knock-on effect to the to the senior team. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying, Rick, that now that's every single level of England youth have won something apart from the national team or senior national team. Not in my lifetime, just. But, you know, you'd hope that um, it does bode well for the future because the the improvement in the last few years, we've got closer and closer, haven't we? It's not like during the 90s when we were a million miles away. So um, you'd, you'd hope that these groups coming through together means that the bar is being raised and the ability is there and it just needs pointing in the right direction. And, um, yeah, hopefully a, ma- a manager that looks to score a few goals might be the next move. Do you not think, though, that the fact that uh, the FA have stuck with um, Gav Southgate for as long as they have, and and given him the time, and you, and you can you can plot back and you can see the steady the steady improvement in the side, and, and you know we got got to a final. Okay, we lost the final on penalties, but it shows that if you do stick with a manager, that very often it's the best move you can make because. If you start panicking as soon as you lose a couple of games, then out they go and you've just got to start again then and it just puts you back on the clock, doesn't it? Yeah, well he got the job on the really on the back that back of the fact that he'd just done the under twenty ones, hadn't he? So it's that mm. same group coming through. So yeah, you you know, I mean everybody has a moan about Southgate being ultra negative, but I mean you can't knock his record really. He's right. he's he's improved. If you'd think that the the squad that got to the semi finals had Phil Jones and Ashley Young and Jesse Lingard in it. And they wouldn't get a sniff now at getting anywhere near the current sort of squad. So the the, the general standard has improved. So, yeah, you, you, you'd hope that, um, again, next tournament that comes around, we'll be there, there or thereabouts and just improve along with the with the manager because he's getting better. You can't, What's the point in chucking in a manager who's never had tournament experience? He's got it now and he's been successful within tournaments. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that probably, barring form falling off a cliff, the job's is as long as he wants it, really. Just on the flip side to that, then, um, Tommy, I'll come to you, because, yeah, Aidy's right, you do want to stick with a manager as, lo- as long as possible. But I guess with international football, it's a little bit different, because I guess in Gareth's case, he's taken a lot of these players through himself, and he's sort of seen it through. Though I'm guessing that if it doesn't work out for the Euros in 2024, is that would that be the time to then move on to see the next crop? Because he would have had four tournaments, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, but I think, again, alongside that, you, you the more you've got a squad, obviously you're only really bringing in probably fours and fives or sixes maybe of, of different players each each sort of through a season maybe that are getting a slight chance. So to, to know the players inside out, obviously... You know, some of those players, like you said, he's been working with since he's been there. Um, he'll know those players inside out now. So you've only got to get to know the new players each time um, and maybe sort of monitor what their um, social background or social well-being is within the squad and how they interact with the coaching staff and the other players and how they learn to or, or learn to your methods. Whereas, obviously, if you introduce a new manager, they've got to get to know all the players from the offset, unless they've worked with them in the past. So, like the guys have said, I think, you know, we should stick with him and, and the, it, it will bode well. Um, 
the crop of young players for a while now has been very, very good. Like I said, like Steve's just been mentioned, some of the young players that didn't play in the Euros, under 21 Euros, because they're already established in the first team squad. So, you know, I think that we should stick with, with him. And I know that's easy to stay, say now while we're not in the tournament because, you know, we're one game away from moaning like mad at him sort of thing. But, you know, I think, the, like the guys are saying, we should, should definitely be sticking with him. Um, and like I said, all right, obviously if something goes drastically wrong, then obviously it's going to be looked at. But the reality is, I think we can firmly say we're one of the top four uh, international teams in the world at the moment, without doubt. Um, and we have been for some time. So, you know, we're not a million miles away. We, it's just a little rub of the green or the small percentages that will mean us hopefully winning a tournament. And, and that's how tight it is at the elite, elite state of um, top of the international football. That's how, that's how tight it is. It's, it's minimal, minimal, minimal percentages for me. So in terms of where this possibly leaves Lee Carsley now, Steve, do you think he'll have quite a few suitors now that he's managed to, to win a tournament, albeit at a youth level? Yeah, because it's not really youth level, is it? To be fair, you've, you've gone beyond youth, I think, when you get to this age group. Um, you know, he's dealing with adults. Some of them have got a couple of years of development still within them, yeah, obviously, and, and some of them have been 1920s. But, you, you know, they're, they're all sort of in first-team squads. And, yeah, listen, his CV doesn't look any worse for winning the under-21s, does it? Um, the, th- the thing with Gareth is, you know, people want to talk about, well, we get rid of him if we don't do well at the next tournament. The first thing you've got to ask yourself is, well, if you're going to get rid of him, who are you going to be placing with? Because you can't just sack somebody and then start looking around and say, well, who fit the bill? You know, so there's got to be a plan in place to to have somebody lined up ready that can just pick up the mantle and run with it. So in an ideal world, you'd probably like to think that the process of developing through the 23s and onto the first team is something the FA maybe have in mind. So whether that means Lee Carsley is being seen as a potential successor to, to Gareth, I don't know. Or maybe it's Stevie Holland steps up to be the head coach and Lee Carsley goes and helps him. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. And the other thing, of course, is I think it's a great time at the moment to be involved with England setup because it, it tends to be cyclical around the world. You know, the Belgians in, in the early 90s, 92, 94, had a fantastic squad that got to the semi-finals of the World Cup. They've reproduced another fantastic squad of players that have underachieved over the last few years. The French have been cyclical. And at this moment, we're at the top of our, you know, we're on the crest at the moment in terms of our player production. And we really do have to take advantage of it at this moment in time, I think. So the next two tournaments, I think, are going to be our best chance to win something. Because after that, there's normally a dip again. So I think the next two, we've got to line up and try and win something. Do you not think, though, that the the whole um, competition... And, and the manager, they've almost gone under the radar, really. I mean, you know, there was some publicity, and yes, they finally decided to put it on TV at the last minute. But, you know, from a point of view of Lee Carsley getting a lot of publicity, or the team itself getting a lot, it was only on the last day when they've won the competition that the papers had anything much in the paper, you know, about them. Yeah, well, you know, maybe we don't attach as much importance to the underage teams that a lot of the European countries do because they make a big stock about you know the Spaniards and how many times they've won the 17s or the 19s um, and maybe we don't unless we win it mm. you know it's one of those things it's like being in the whatever it's Europa Conference League isn't it none of the managers are interested until they get into the last 16 and then yeah. suddenly that's their focus Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that's the same in England you know we, we poo-poo it until such times as we've got a chance of winning it and then when we win it it's the most important tournament in the world <laughs> yeah no, I think I think I think that's fair. Like you've just touched on with the Europa Conference League 
Rick, I think we were talking about it. We're about um, going off topic slightly, but I see where you're going with it. Like with West Ham last season, like, mm-hmm. you know, other, other rival fans were looking at it and thinking, blimey, West Ham, you know, why are you making such a fuss of that? But what do you expect the fans to do? Just not celebrate when they're in the stadium, when the team wins the cup? This is not going to happen, is it? Oh, no. And that's what, that was always the thing with Europa League. It might have changed now financially, but you actually didn't start to make any real money unless you won it. And it's, uh, but then again, it's, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's experience. What would you rather do in your midweek? There is that thought that you get extra time training or whatever, but you might as well be in Europe playing a, a competitive And for the fans as well, year. Rick, it's still memories yeah. and, that, you know, evenings out and good places to go. Yeah. I Everybody mean, wants to see their, their club playing competitive in a European competition. It's winning, isn't it? it's winning, it's winning habits as well. You're winning yeah. games. Yes. Yeah. And the thing, the thing with the Europa and now the conference is, is I think there's a bit of snobbery about it when it's sort of a stick for the big, bigger clubs to beat each other with. I mean, United used to give Liverpool stick if they were in Thursday nights on Channel 5 and the same again. United have been on the receiving end of it the last few seasons. Oh, you can only qualify for the Europa League. But then you look at Aston Villa now and, and Brighton, they're absolutely delighted to be playing in European competitions. So I think it's not something to be belittled because it is, it's a, you've got to achieve something to get there in the first place. And, and also it is a competition that's, that's worth winning. And there is a lot of kudos in winning a European final, whichever one of the three it is. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree. And like you say, there's going to be quite a few different teams, English teams in Europe next season. So it'll be interesting to see how they will. You are Spurs. Do you think Spurs are going to Europe next season? They're a big club. No I think as well, because European football is sort of on Sky so much as well now. And obviously, a lot of players are going from sort of one country. You know, we're signing players from all over the world pretty much. And obviously, you know, some of the English players are going abroad. And I think there's a lot more fluidity in player transfers so you're more aware of other leagues and how they're doing and so that makes it a bit more exciting to think you're playing Valencia or Villarreal or Fiorentina and Atalanta and all these teams are you know they're they're big clubs as well now I think we're starting to understand that you know there are you know there's there's fierce competition in Europe um, aside from just you know maybe the Spain and Italian league for argument's sake there's no um Unknown what you don't want anymore, is there? Like, sorry, Rick, they, when you get, you know, back in the day when you used to have a qualifier against a rapid Bucharest or something and you didn't know anything about them and then you saw a couple of their players and you thought, oh, they look tasty. Like, there's no real elements of surprise anymore. No, exactly, yeah. Shame. I think the point you make earlier, Dave, about the under-21s, it's not just about the manager having that experience at tournaments. It's the players having had that experience as well, of knowing what it takes to go through six games in a concerted period of time and, and reproduce the levels of performance to get through. So winning, it's great. But the experience of knowing how to manage the tournament, how to manage your downtime, getting used to being in those environments, that historically, when you listen to a lot of the stuff around the England camp, South Africa, if you remember, there was all the issues around the training camp was at altitude and they couldn't sleep and they couldn't play. And then there's Paul Gascoigne going fishing in the Koi Kart Pond when it was in Japan and Korea. One of the issues historically has been that English players don't know how to socialise around training camps for long periods of time and some of the Continentals are more adept at just sitting back and relaxing. Our lads are learning how to do that much better now and prepare themselves better and getting to the end of a tournament and having to be there for the whole duration prepares you much better 
for when you're a senior international and you get into the later stages of competition. So hopefully now we won't be getting home before the postcard. How many times did you hear that every time England were in a major tournament? Yeah, on the plane home is is probably a close second. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's um, start bringing in some of the, the transfer chat then because that has been potting up since we last spoke on Wednesday. One of them that does seem to be dragging out a little bit, Aid, I'll come to you, is the uh, Declan Rice deal because it looks like that it's going to get over the line in the next 48 hours, possibly even less than that now. And Timber as well, the right back or right back centre back that they're, they're, they're looking to bring in. But just on the Rice deal, they've obviously agreed it a little while ago now. Are you surprised it's taken so long to get the deal over the line having agreed it? Yeah, I suppose I am a bit. I, I think it perhaps it, it smells to me as a, an accountant has somehow got involved in this because clearly the football type people have said, yeah, right, that's the deal, fine. And they've left it to the accountants and secretaries and what have you. And, uh, you know, they're not quite so understanding of the publicity that the, the delay, because you're going to be, I bet there was a few Arsenal supporters going around thinking, oh, is this going to go and fall down now at the last minute? So, um, you know, I, I think they don't realise sometimes the sort of chaos they're going to cause by just delaying things. But on the other hand, I suppose West Ham, they want to make, you know, satisfactory financial gain from it. After all, they're losing their best player. So they're going to, you know, they're going to hang out for it, I suppose, aren't they? So uh, a bit surprising. Maybe, but... maybe they've drawn the money out, Aid, in 5p coins. Well, maybe that or they've already gone and spent it. Who knows? But, um, you know. A bit surprising, I suppose, but at the end of the day, you know, these days, I fancy transfers are taking a lot longer. Although, fair dues to the enemy, they did get their Alex McCarthy one through very quickly. So, um, you know, and, and off the radar almost. Just McCarthy. It was very it? much off the radar. Alex McCarthy. Alex, Alex McCarthy, who's he? He plays for Southampton. No, I meant the, the Argentinian guy. Oh, McAllister. McAllister. MacArthur. MacArthur. MacArthur Park. Um, but, you know, they did get that one through. But these days, there seems to be one hell of a lot of transfers taking one, one long time. Do you not think so, Steve? Yeah, I mean, th there are more people involved now, aren't there? And, and the sums of money are ridiculous. So there's, there's lots of issues around what are the payment instalments, what's the penalty clauses if they don't pay on time, all those sorts of things. But yeah. just going back to that, uh, is that is that the purchase of the season, Alexis McAllister? Did they pay thirty-five million for him. Yeah, and they're talking they're talk about the Declan Rice yeah. is worth one hundred and five million, and Moises Caicedo is worth eighty million. Mm. Really? Am I missing something? Well, well that's that's, good, that's good exactly agents. right. The, the values um, almost don't really make much sense. I mean, you need to look at the um, chat from Southampton, Lavia, isn't it? But they're yeah. they, they're insisting on no less than £50 million, 50 million pounds, but they'll probably get it. Or if they don't get it, they'll get a value initially, which will probably then lead to £50 million in add-ons. Well, well, what they're good at doing now, aren't they? They, they use them as commodities because they are commodities. You know, that, that's, the, the, that's the club's property as such because they're under contract. They can't go anywhere. So what they do is they just leverage it. They say, oh, well, yeah, you, we want £50 million. You've offered us 30 but now Juventus are interested as well. So they've, you know, and, that's, and what they do is they just up the ante. And then even the Declan Rising, probably at the last minute, somebody else, the number crunches want to maximise the profits. You know? But doesn't so it just depend? Anyone can be a good signing, anyone can be a bad signing. It depends if it's the right signing. 
That's yeah. that's what really matters. You look at um, go back to United again. You look at their transfer policy for the last few years has been absolutely diabolical. Yeah. Whereas you yeah. look at other teams that are paying 20, 25 million, which I know is still a lot of money, but relatively speaking, if you get the right player in, yeah, oh, you know, you it, it is. It's a good signing. You only know, don't you? You, you? you buy on potential a lot of the time, which is what they're saying with Lavier. He's 19 and he's playing Premier League football. Yeah, playing Premier League football for a team that's just been relegated. Let's not forget that. Yeah, in a losing team. Well, let's so just talk about that years. then. You talk about the right signings. Um, Tommy, I'll come to you. Are, are the likes of Havertz and Rice, are they, are they improvements for Arsenal? Uh, yeah, I, I think they are, to be honest. I mean, Havertz has disappointed a bit at Chelsea. I mean, I used to watch him quite a bit um, in the German league and, and fought quite a lot of him, to be honest. Um, and I think he has disappointed a bit. And I, do, I don't think it's helped that Chelsea haven't had a out-and-out striker for him to sort of link up with a bit more. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they're definitely improvements. I mean, yeah, we're talking about money. There's astronomical amounts of money. And like the guys are saying, you know, it's it's never a good signing until they let's start playing well for you week in, week out, and you win trophies and tournaments. Um, so it's a tricky one. Um, and like I said, in the, the day, if you've got the money, you don't mind spending it, I suppose. Um but yeah, if I, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be very happy with those two signings. Um, I'm I'm sticking with Havertz. I I think he could still be a fantastic player, um, and I know probably not everyone's going to agree with that, which I understand. Um, but um, and as for Rice, yeah, he's clearly a great player. Would I want him at United? Yes, I would. Tomorrow, I'd swap him for pretty. Much, I know Casemiro's been playing very very well, but. I'd probably even still swap him for him because you're going to get 10 years out of Rice. So um, he's a he's a fantastic boy. Uh, I know he's expensive. I know it's a lot of money. Um, but, you know, sometimes you've got to pay that if you want what if you want, want what you want. And West Ham are obviously going to hold out for the best that they can get. And they have done. Fair play to them. Um, yeah, transfer fees are a tricky one. It's always difficult. It's, it's one of those sort of like, a bit like when you're watching horse racing and you're thinking of, um, who's the favourite, and then you need to look at the paper for advice because you don't really know yourself. So, you know, trying to put a price on a player, um, you know, it's 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 a difficult one. I think you know we could all get that wrong. Um, yeah, so sorry, yeah, I'm deliberating a little bit there because I'm thinking ahead, thinking of of players now, I'm thinking trying to think of what what someone could be worth. I mean, what's Phil Foden worth? Um, you know, what's Cole Palmer worth? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to tell, isn't it? Sometimes, I suppose. Um, but let's hope there's some transfers start to ramp up because you know people at Everton haven't signed anyone yet. Um, West Ham, I'm not sure they've signed anyone yet. Poor old Sheffield United. I heard today they got 20, 20 million to spend. Um, I mean, you know, what are they going to get with that? One player just got promoted. They're going to sign one player. Um, I know they're on a buyout, so they're holding back a bit at the moment, but. You know, let's be honest, what chance have they got if they buy one player for 20 million? What chance have they got of staying in the Premier League next year? Steve, when it comes to putting a price on a player, who who actually, you know, take this Lavia bloke? I mean, is it is it the chairman of Southampton's come up with it? Or have they got a little glasses guide like they have in the motor trade? I mean, how do they come up with these figures in the first place? Parker's guide. <laughs> glasses guide, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. three miles on the clock. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, it's hello. Oh, technology struts. Is, is it cut in again? Is it? Yeah, you're back yeah. now. You're back now. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I know when I know when I worked abroad that the clubs used to joke about if an English side showed an interest, we'd up the price, we'd double the price because yeah. English clubs are stupid, you know. And, and we've carried on in that vein. We've got so much money in the Premier League, we'll just throw it around willy nilly. The reality is, a player's worth what you can get for him, like any other commodity, like selling your car. A player's yeah. worth what you can get for him. If you can convince somebody that Lavia, who might be a great young player, is worth fifty million quid, and they give you fifty million quid. He's worth fifty million. Whether it proves to be money well spent, like Tom said, you'll only know later down the line. Because if you pay fifty million for him and he wins you two Premier Leagues and a Champions League, you know, then you'll say you've had your money out of him. If he does a like some players have done, like Fernando Torres when he went to, to Chelsea for fifty million and couldn't hit a cow's bottom with a banjo after he got there, people will say what a waste of money. But we're all clever with hindsight, aren't we? Mm. I've signed a few duffers in my time, I can tell you, but not for that sort of figure. Yeah, no, no. Well, this is where, um, you know, it's quite difficult from a fan's perspective to kind of judge it, because just taking Lavia as the example there, he's, what, 20, 21? So if you buy him for £50 million, but he's not really played very much or he's been a little bit of a bit part for two years because he's still then only going to be 23, that you know, fans of clubs that after two years might say, oh, do you know what? He's had two years. We need to get rid of him. But actually, at somebody of that age, you kind of need them to give him four or five years before you can really judge whether or not that transfer has worked or not. And it's also, it's also um, you know, obviously, like the guys have touched on, he's been playing in a struggling team who have spent a lot of time out of possession. He's a defensive midfield player, so... He's in his element, if you like, in terms of he's, he's the one trying to block things and stop things and make tackles and break play up. You stick him in a team, for argument's sake, Man United, where he's probably going to be in possession more than he is out of possession. It's a different game. Yeah. It's a different game for him. So does that, does he, he isn't, he doesn't become a, war, a poor player because all of a sudden he's giving the ball away. Um, he just never had the ball as much at Southampton. So, you know, when you're signing players, you've got to think, does he fit? And if so, into our team and makeup of how we play, is he is, it, is he going to be suited to us? So you know yeah. that, that's something to consider when you're looking to buy somebody of that ilk. And the wages come into it as well, of course, because that's on top of the the transfer fee. Yeah, but the more you pay for them, the more power you give them to demand ridiculous wages yeah. because the wages have to be seen to be yeah. commensurate with the transfer fee. Yeah. So if you buy somebody for five million, you can give him ten grand a week. Yeah. You buy him for fifty million, he wants a hundred grand a week because his agent's saying, "Well, he's worth this money." Yeah, so, paying that for him. But, yeah. And then yeah. not, and what you've got, you've got to make a calculated gamble. Yeah, that's what it is. Every time you sign somebody, it should be a calculated gamble. That's why Brighton, Brentford, they do it all off statistical analysis. And they set their figures against the stats that the players have consistently produced. And they say, right, if we just get a normal season out of them, they'll give us you know, 30 games, 10 assists, 5 goals, whatever. A lot of other clubs, to me, it seems they just... Like, somebody mentions a player and they say, oh yeah, we'll bid for him. And off they go. And I think you talked about Man United. I think over the last few years, there's been a lot of that. Well, the other thing about United that they do so badly in getting players in is they give them astronomical wages, which then makes them harder to move on. To ship out, yeah. you know. Yeah, we were held, we're held to, we're held to, we're held to ransom, aren't they? Because it's made yeah. United, so you know. And if the rest of your if the rest if the rest of your squad are on, for argument's sake, as an average of two hundred grand, then obviously a player comes in, he's going to want to be average or above, isn't he? So you know, like so, I said, in fairness, they're trying to address that, or so say, by 
having his salary cap for players, but we all know that's probably a bit of a smoke screen. So, you know, well, let's talk about the, um, the the other um, transfer that's hotting up to an extent, and that's Bayern's second bid that's come in over the weekend for for Kane. Um, Rick, I'll come to you because it it's been said that Kane's going to have a conversation uh, with the Tottenham management team and with Daniel Levy as soon as he's come back from holiday. And it sounds as though this might be quite an interesting conversation. Well, yeah, um, because you've got to remember, as we keep banging on about Kane, he's also got the potential of Alan Shearer's record. Is, Is it 70 get... mil that's on the table now from Munich? 80, 80. 80, yeah. Oh, is that your age? Yeah, it depends how, how much buy him want to do it. And you're going to have to, again, the offer to Kane is going to have to be a bit special because he does, having not ever won anything because you play your career at Spurs, so you don't, he's going to want something. So they're going to have to compensate him for the potential of giving Does up. Does the compromise, on... Rick, come if Kane says to Daniel that he wants to go or if regardless of that, he still would probably just say no, hundred million, hundred million only. If that, it, it depends on it's it's who blinks first, isn't it? Because they've got the situation that he is in the last year of his contract, so he could he is not going. He is not going to Bayern Munich. No chance. No. Tom White no. has decided he's not going. So he no will be, No he will be because you don't think he wants to, or because you don't think Levy will accept it, or uh, both. But, or both. If I'm honest, both. Yeah, I think both. I don't think Levy will accept that. Levy, I don't think Levy is responsible for anything less than 100 million. And I don't think King wants to go and play in Germany. Well, it, only, it only got a bit more interesting because there was, and I, and I appreciate its rumours, that he potentially would be interested if a deal could be accepted. But like you say, it might not even get to a point where he can even talk to them, talk to them, well, legally anyway. Right. Is, he having a, is, he having a, is he having his own golf driveway built, indoor driveway built at his house or something? Well, he can still have that and play in Germany. Yeah, yeah. How long has he got left on his contract? One year. One year. Twelve months, yeah. Well, my mate, Ange, was on the telly if this don't afternoon. Get about, if they don't get the right money now, he'll, he'll go in January. If, if, he, if, he, if he wants to go, he'll go. Because yeah. I don't manager, think he does, though. Well, that's the mm. thing, Tom, isn't it? If he doesn't want to, well, but he I holds think he wants the to go. I think he wants to go, and I think they'll use this as leverage to get... I think he wants to go to Man United, and I think they'll use this as leverage... <laughs> To get him out, but bear in mind he did all this the other year with Man City, and it never went through. So I think for him, he should be having a conversation to say, "Look, if you want me, this has to happen because I can't go through this again, where I'm going to make it known I want to leave, and then it doesn't go through." He needs yeah. he needs the confidence to know that if if, yeah. if someone's going to come in for him, it's going to happen, and if he has to yeah. say and do things to push it, it has to go through. Um, if it doesn't go through now, Tom's that- Actually, you made a really good point there. January is always an option. Yeah, it doesn't go through 50, now. Take, take Daniel Levy would be more inclined to listen to an offer then because it's yeah. his last chance to get and le- unless, forward, unless of course, Spurs are second for argument's sake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But my mate yeah, Ange was on the telly this afternoon, and he was telling uh, saying that he'd had a, a a very what he called positive conversation with Harry Kane, implying. Harry Kane has sort of more or less said, no, I'll stay. Now, he didn't say that in as many words, but that's what he seemed to be implying. So whether or not that's, you know, the situation's changed in, in the last 24, 48 hours, I don't know. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be funny if he went to Bayern Munich and Spurs won the league? 
Yeah. No, I, think, I don't want to live in a world where... I think unrealistic is the word, is the word you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Dave, you've just given up the scenario of, you know, potentially does he move if Spurs are second in January? Who's top if Spurs are second? I think they might be wearing the same shirt that I'm wearing. Well, not the same shirt, but the same shade of shirt that I'm wearing at the moment. And they might play in light blue. And it isn't oh, the 115 club. Crack on. See, he's nearly gone a whole podcast without I mentioning that with around it. about five minutes to go, I believe. So we've got around about five minutes to go. Um, another one that looks like that might happen um, is Harvey Barnes to, to Newcastle. Again, there's a club that's gone down in, in Leicester and it looks like that Barnes is valued at around about 35 million. Um, Tommy, that sounds a bit like a steal, but like we've just been saying, yeah. what, be honest, does, yeah, what I, does transfer fees mean anyway? Yeah, I know Madison. Madison went for four, was Madison forty to Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. I'm not be honest. I I think that's quite good for uh for Barnes. He's still quite young. He's pacey. Um, he's exciting. Um, I I thought Villa might come in for him to be honest because he's always done very well against Villa. Um, so I'm a bit surprised they haven't gone for him. Um, but yeah, I think Newcastle's probably quite a good fit. Um, English as well because I think you English need well, a yeah, bit more I've, of a quota for when you're in Europe. But they've signed Tonali as well, aren't they? Newcastle, so the Italian. He's he's, he's obviously a very well touted player around Europe yeah. and well respected. So um, you know they they're making some astute signings. Newcastle, to be fair, it seems like. Um, be interesting to see if they get any more in. They, they haven't done a lot defensively yet, but um, as in signed many. But um, you know they're building quite a nice little squad there. I think Newcastle. Steve, I saw you wince there when I said thirty-five million's good, good value. Yeah. But I'm yeah. basing that on obviously the um, heavily inflated yeah. prices that we've just been talking that's, about. I mean, that's the mark. That's the mark, isn't it? Does he make their starting eleven better? I'm not sure he does. Does he make their squad better? Then yeah. And given the fact they have got Europe as well, um, it gives them a you know slight variation in terms of the sort of player he is. So it'll make them a better squad. But I'm not sure he's, he's making them any closer to being title challengers. I think we've just got a couple of minutes left. Um, a bit more than that. A bit more than that. Okay, well, we can have a He hasn't chat. waved his... He's waved his thing at you yet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, there was a lot of talk over the weekend about... There we go. There oh, we it's go. printed it's this time. It's yeah. printed. It's got a proper auto cue now. Um, Mbappe potentially going to, to Real Madrid because it's there's been a fiasco going on all summer and... Aid over the last couple of well over the weekend, there's now been his club accusing the player that he's already agreed for, to go for free next summer. Apparently, they've said to him that he has to sign a new contract um, or leave. But because he's still got twelve months on his existing contract, it's still very much up to the player, isn't it? Well, I suppose if that's the the, the law of contract, this works that way. Yeah, it is, but. You know, I I can't really see it's good PR for Paris Saint Germain to be saying to Bappe, "Look, you must sign a contract." I mean, he must and he'll do what he wants to do, and if he's sort of had enough of PSG, he's going to move on, isn't he? You know, and I, I don't see how you sort of stipulate you've got to, to sign. Yeah, they're not going to rot him in the reserves, are they? Because it will just annoy all the fans, and it's just not going to help anybody. 
no. for 12 months. I think he's been saying that he feels they've reached the ceiling, a glass ceiling, doesn't he, as well, with how they've gone. He's, he's been quite uh, disrespectful of the ownership and the coaching staff about how they're how they're picking the team and running the team and, and stuff like that a little bit. So he's he's making all the right noises to kind yeah. of get a move, I think. Yeah, it's, it's amazing though, isn't it? He's probably played under what five different managers since he's been at Paris Saint Germain. Yeah, and and like they haven't got through in the Champions League, and he's been in part of all of it. And all these managers have been really good managers at different places. Pochettino and um, Ancelotti's been there. All these different Chico. people, you know. And he and he's blaming it. And, you know, they can't go any further. Well, maybe if I, to be honest, you're right. He, he's got all the cards, any because they're not going to leave him rotten in the reserves, but. Well, he, just he's got a year option, hasn't he? So he, yeah. he can stay for a year if he wants. Yeah. So, yeah, I, thought he, he, I thought he could yeah. also pick the manager, couldn't he? Well, that one of the conditions well, on his contract. And, uh, and that's where it becomes just absolute ludicrous, you know? Because yeah, yeah, you can't, exactly. have, you can't manager, have that. Nah, managers should always be the ultimate and have to say on everything. But he's also said things like he wants to play up front with like a big man, like a target man. That's that's who he wants to play with. And, and they've signed Messi. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know. Veghorst is available. Sorry? Veghorst is available. Veghorst, yeah. Veghorst, like, loan in. <laughs> Chris, Wood, Chris Wood's gone now. Newcastle. Uh, Nottingham Forest. Yeah, yeah, he has. Another, another big man. Um, yeah. Just seeing what else that there is that's happened this just, week. Just, um, one, just one point about that, about PSG. Mm? Uh, who owns PSG? The Qataris? I just say to the United supporters out there, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, yeah, it's a worry. It's a worry. You know, you don't know, dear. There's no transparency really, and we don't know enough about uh, the businesses from that sort of side of the world to know where we're going to be in five years' time. Well, someone that they do want, um, it looks like the um, transfer committee. I don't know if it is a committee at United, but it does look like that the uh, the the um, the deal for the goalkeeper Anana might um, Anana. get. Get somewhere quickly. Are you are you boys happy with with, with Has that anyone one as a replacement? A, anyone seen a clip of him? Has anyone seen a clip of him on social media using his hands yet? Because every clip I've seen has got him dribbling past a forward when he's got possession because he's great to, with his feet. I haven't seen one of him making a save yet. To be honest, against Man uh, City in the Champions League final, I thought his distribution was shocking. He gave the ball away, simple simple passes. He gave it away three or four times straight to a Man City player. And, and obviously, watching that game, thinking that was what he's supposed to be good at, I thought he was terrible. I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah, I was a bit concerned when I heard some of these. They reckon it is crazy. It was the word used for some of his defending and you know getting rid of the ball and all the rest of it. It's a little bit uh, worrying, but shall we say? Ten Hag has had him at Ajax, so you'd like to think you know maybe he'll he'll yeah. Get through to him enough to say, you know. Oh, we might have I'm to rely on this little Japanese player they got in mind, Suzuki or whatever his name is. is that a motorbike. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to buy a car now, are they? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, there you go. We better we better wrap things up there then. What a way to end it on United possibly bringing in Suzuki at the end of the transfer window. Tom. <laughs> Cheers, fellas. Thanks a lot. Good evening. Good week. Steve, thank you for joining the asylum again for another week. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, mate. So, that's it from me as well. So, until next week, this is A.D. Hopper saying thanks for listening and don't forget, football bloody hell.